Welcome to the Inspire Podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings, and I will be sharing stories and talking with everyday people who will encourage, will inspire, and will motivate. Throughout my journey of life, I have been very lucky to meet many beautiful people with amazing stories of transformation and growth. Inspire is here to bring out the best of you. Enjoy the show. Spray Podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings. Thank you so much for tuning in again to a brand new episode, a brand new interview with a dear friend of mine, my neighbor, Mike Ethington. But before we get into this podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to six of the greatest dudes that I've ever met. Alan, John, Brian, Tommy, Vinny, and Matt. We had a great time this weekend, guys. Thank you so much for coming in. Some of you flew in. We went to Chef Klaus's Beer Stube in Frankfurt, Illinois. Got ourselves some wicked good German food. We went to the Bears game. Had a great time tailgating, seeing Bears actually win. Guys, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming in and cutting it up like we just met 20-something years ago, almost 30 years ago, which is insane. This podcast, okay, is going to be very, very special. My neighbor, Mike Ethington. Mike Ethington has battled alcoholism for quite some time. Mike Ethington is a recovering alcoholic. We're going to talk about sobriety. We're going to talk about addiction. We're going to talk about the trials and tribulations that Mike went through during his time and continues to go through as a recovering addict of alcohol. Mike Ethington hit rock bottom. And we're going to hear about that and what rock bottom is. Rock bottom is different for everybody. But for Mike, it was literally days, if not weeks, of dying because of alcoholism. Enjoy this podcast. Enjoy this on your way into work, on your way home from work, while working out, wherever you listen to it. I ask also if we can get some ratings. If the Inspire Podcast could get some ratings, some reviews on Apple Podcasts, that would help us out tremendously. I appreciate all the kind words that I get in text messages and instant messages as well as the direct messages on the Instagram. I don't even know if instant messengers still go on, but I think that's what Facebook uses. But thank you guys for believing the Inspirate podcast, our mission statement, and most of all, listening to Mike Ethington's story this week, a story that will encourage, it will inspire, and it will motivate so many. Enjoy the Inspirate podcast this week. The Inspirate Podcast would not be possible if it wasn't from the generous donation from Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist. Located in Homer Glen and New Lenox, Illinois, Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist provides comprehensive podiatry services to people of all ages. Dr. Christopher Vittori and Dr. Amit Thakrar are dedicated to helping patients treat a wide range of foot and ankle issues. With expertise in ankle sprains, bunion treatment, diabetic foot care, neuropathy, and more, the team at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialists combines its professional experiences to deliver effective and targeted treatments. The team is committed to creating a safe and professional environment where patients can feel comfortable addressing any of their foot and ankle concerns. To learn more about the podiatry services at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialists, use the online booking tool or call the office to book an appointment today by calling 708-273-7080 visiting them at vittorifootclinic.com and liking and following their Instagram and Facebook pages. 
If you make a appointment with Dr. Vittori or Dr. Thakrar, let them know that you heard about it on the Unsprayed podcast. All right, so we're recording now, and okay. this is pretty much how it is. And welcome to the Unsprayed podcast. Thank you so much for this long travel. You traveled quite some ways to come down here, probably about a good minute and a half walk. It was exhausting. I know. You look spent. <laughs> you live, you as in Mike Ethington. Mike Ethington is our guest today. And Mike lives three houses down from me. One, two, three. Yeah, three houses down. And I had the honor to meet Mike 12 years ago when I moved into this home where I live now. And Mike has been a mainstay of Orland Hills. He is the founding owner of the home here where we live. And I came in, I was 29 years old. I moved in, I'm 42 now, so let's do the math. Yeah, it sounds about right. And I got to meet Mike right away because Mike was sort of like the mayor of the block. He <laughs> knew everything that was going on at all times. And uh, he introduced me to the other neighbors at the time. And, you know, I won't go through any of their names, but there he introduced me to all the neighbors. And we, we had a good run. Uh, we had some, some interesting times when we were younger. We, mm -hmm. we ran pretty hard. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to bring Mike on because his story is one of the most powerful stories that I have known. I got to experience firsthand because we we walked some we walked a few miles together in the beginning of it. Yes, I'm gonna we have did. you bring that cord. I'm gonna hand hand me that cord right there. Okay. There you go, because every time you hit it you get a feedback. And that's the perks of having a kitchen studio. <laughs> we just fix the cord as we talk. We don't have a sound engineer. But Mike and I, we, we, we went through some stuff at the very beginning of Mike's journey. Mike's journey is addiction. And Mike's journey, he's a recovering alcoholic. Did I say that correctly? Correct. Correct. So I, my history is Mike. And we're going to go into Mike's history as Kyle. And I met Mike as the guy who had some kick but garage gatherings where we would just go down there and Mike Mike spot we called it the office and he always had NASCAR going and there was always some type of an adult beverage in the fridge uh, with some other type of adult beverages but then Mike helped me build out my my office so I would have a office set up with you know some adult beverages in the fridge <laughs> and I had vodka for myself and Mike's drink I believe was was Jack was yep. that right with some gentleman Jack, and so I just bought a bottle of Jack for for the garage for my office for Mike because Mike would always have my my drink of choice at his office, and that's how weekends went. Saturday, uh, we we had a good time. Friday, mm -hmm. we'd come by have a drink, or maybe on Sunday, but that was that, and that's all I knew from you. That's we were just weekenders, you know, mm -hmm. and I knew that as our life from when I moved in here into 2019 to the spring of 2016. Now, I say the spring of 2016 because that's where I'm going to pick up the story after you share your history you're with me and how, how you met me and, and your recollections of, of what life was like pre-2016. Okay. Well, I knew who you were right from the get-go. I knew you were the mayor's son. So uh, at the, in the beginning, there was uh, maybe... Uh, false motivation to get to know you, get my connection in with the mayor, you know, 
get in tight with the people that are running the town. Uh, we've been here since 86 in the same house. So, but yeah, then uh, after a period of time, then uh, Kyle and I became friends. Uh, we uh, created a relationship uh, and a good friendship and we had a lot of fun and uh, either here or at my house whether it was stock car racing or drag racing on a TV or football on Sundays. Uh, it was always usually a gathering spot uh, where your garage was because it's set up pretty nice. Anyway, and then up until um, 2016, we did. We ran hard Yeah. on the weekends. We were weekend warriors. You know? we, we ran really hard. Yeah. And... We, we, we went to a Bears game together. Yep. And, I mean, Bears games, we turned it on pretty hard, too. Yes. And, like I said, I knew Mike Ethington as just a weekender, just like how I was, and yep. that we just turned it on. I didn't know about the five other days of the week. I knew Sunday was more of a hair of the dog day. And hair of the dog is, you yeah. know, you, you have a couple cocktails to take off the edge from a Saturday. Yeah. And But then Sunday was also NASCAR day. The races were on in yep. season. And then football, of course, football is on on Sundays. I switched careers where I was in law enforcement for a while, and I went to pharmaceutical sales. And I had an opportunity where uh, I was able to, to be at home more and be here for weekends and more of a conventional, conventional hours. I went on a trip in 2016 to our national sales meeting. And our national sales meeting... Uh, was overseas, well, it was across, it was at an island, one of the tropical islands, very nice, very luxurious. And I remember coming home, and you came by, you came by the garage, you saw it was open, and you came by, and you sat down, and we're going to start right, right around here. But right before then, we had some good times on the weekends where I knew I needed to scale it back. Yeah. Uh, one time there was a couple times where a, the term blacked out drunk happened and it was in June and for myself and I knew that I had to, I had to dial it back where I was at your home and I start, I think I started at the, our neighbor's house. They had a party and they're from their European descent and they like their vodka and I like my vodka and I had a little bit too much next door because they had fire water. It was like, it was some... Yeah, I called it Czechoslovakian goofy juice. <laughs> and they're the farthest <laughs> from Czechoslovakian. <laughs> but it was, and I, I went down to your home and I had some of the brown poison. And I don't really remember how I got in. And I remember Sarah was just petrified that, how is she going to get me inside the house? Because I guess I fell asleep on the stoop outside. And I fell asleep on the kitchen floor. And at the time, my two little ones were babies. They were young. And how was she going to explain it? And I was 400 pounds at the time. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not like she couldn't lift me now. But, I mean, I was very heavy then. And we had a little talk. She's like, hey, you got to dial back a little bit. And I think that was the summer of 2015 that, that went down. Could have been, yeah. And so then springtime came of 2016. Now, you're a mechanic by trade. It's not mm -hmm. a hobby. He did that joke once. So yeah. It's not a hobby. It's not a hobby. It's not a hobby. But you're a mechanic by trade. And I always knew, like, mechanics that, you know, sometimes that they bounce around a little bit. Okay. 
uh, and they go from different shop to different shop, or if there's new management or new owners, you know, it might not mesh, might not work, you know, with your personality types, but mechanics are a very needed position where you literally can find a new job and snap of a finger. Oh, absolutely. Very quickly. Yeah. Depending on your, what your reputation is right in the industry, you could, uh, you could easily write your own ticket and it was not, not that hard. It wasn't hard at all. And you went through a couple jobs r- right in the beginning, the the winter of 2016 going into the spring. You, you were at a couple different shops. Yeah. Now, I chalked it up as just personality conflicts. You know, th- there's a lot of egos, a lot of alpha testosterone in mechanic shops, and it's my way or no way. And I, I chalked up some job loss because of that. Jan- uh, M- April or May of 2016, you come by the garage. And I remember this, I remember this like it was yesterday because we were hosting people by the house and you came in and in the cabinet, I had some, some, uh, Jack Daniels in the cabinet and I'd always have beers in the fridge. And, but again, because that's what we did, that was what the, the social part of that our was life was. The norm. That was normal. That was yeah. normal at the time. So you came by. And this is what I'm going to call our, the day one. I'm going to say this is day one of Mike's journey. And I'm sitting on the bench and we're talking. You were down. And I said, hey, what's going on? We were talking. I think you just lost a job. You lost a mechanic's job mm-hmm. or, or something in that nature. And you were down. You're like, hey, you might if I help myself? I'm like, no, it's your bottle. I, I, it's not your bottle literally, but figuratively. It's, this, <laughs> yeah. You're the only one that drinks that. That's why I bought it. It was for you. So I remember you had a shot, and then you had a beer. And we are just talking about, you know, I got to find a new place. You know, I got my tools coming back. And I was like, just going with it. I just listened because, you know, this is stuff that I've heard from other mechanic friends. You got to move the tools. It's expensive. The tools are like thousands and thousands of dollars. I never realized how much mechanic tools are. Expensive. Big-time money. And it's big-time money to transport them because it's big-time weight. And... We were talking about that, and then you had another shot and another beer. And then you told me I chucked myself into rehab. And that's, do you write, is that how you remember that? Yeah. And you told me that, and I literally had the, like a bottom, like that bottom pit of anger in my stomach that I just got played. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, what, what do you mean that you just checked yourself in rehab? You checked yourself out. And what I was so shocked on was that you had the shots and beers and you just checked yourself out. And I was floored by that. I was Actually, I lasted at, uh, I went to a place in Crest Hill. Uh, it's called Stepping Stones. Crest Hill, Illinois. Yeah, mm-hmm. called Stepping Stones. Uh, I had been through um, two four-day detox sessions already at Silver Cross over a period of a few months. Uh, you hit those pretty tight. We, we, no one yeah, knew about that. We nobody just, knew about that. Yeah. Uh, and then I was at Stepping Stones. It's a 28-day program. Uh, I left after nine days. And uh, on my way home, I promptly went and got drunk. I stopped on the way home and got a bottle. And got drunk uh alcoholism alcoholism is uh they say it's a disease 
the disease of the mind and body. It's an allergy of the allergy. They say a lot of things about about alcoholism. The difference between a normal drinker and an alcoholic is once I started drinking, I wouldn't stop until I was either passed out or it was all gone. And when it was all gone, I'm trying to figure out how to get more. A normal drinker can drink one beer and be done with it, and that's all he wants. I just want a quick beer after work just to unwind a little bit. Not an alcoholic. The allergy part of it comes in when uh, when you have that first drink. What happens is it sets off something in your brain. I don't know what it is. There's a medical term. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And uh, it sets off a craving. And you can't stop that craving for alcohol. No matter what you do. There's no stopping it. Until it's either, like I said, either all gone or your pass out. That's the way it goes. That's alcoholism in a nutshell. So I, I heard what you told me. And I was angry because you lied to me. And I, that's one thing I don't tolerate. Well, I, yeah. I, you can come in here and you can piss in my Cheerios bowl. And I'd be like, Mike, why'd you do that? Wouldn't be angry. I'd be disappointed. But I, I don't handle anger well. Or li- lying well. And I get angry at that. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And if you, I remember, you didn't talk to me for quite a while after that. Uh, it was a couple of days. Yeah, a few and, days, yeah. And I, I didn't know how to react to what what happened besides Mike why did you just do this and I remember said that a couple days so why did you just lie to me why did you do this and I I enforced reinforced several times that no matter what's going on I'm here to help you I'm I don't understand alcoholism I'm not I'm I I don't have an addictive personality so I don't understand addiction maybe I'm addicted to like weightlifting now or something everyone has some form of addiction at some point in time and I can't pinpoint it. Yeah. Some people have suggested, but at some point in time, I crossed the line. Where that line was, that invisible line between just being a weekend warrior and then instead of coming home and having having a beer or two after work, now it was just turn it drinking. On. And then, and then when uh, things started to go go bad. Um, that's when the isolation started to set in and that's when the drinking really started to increase. One of my daughters seems to think that my drinking escalated after my dad died. That's a very good possibility. When did your dad die? 95. 95. So it's a long time. Yeah. But, um, at some point you just cross the line and it becomes, uh, going from having a couple beers in the evening to a lot and then it creeps earlier in the day, uh, making excuses to, to leave work to go and drink, drinking before work. Were you uh, doing a lot of that? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And then I started I started going to AA meetings. Yeah. In uh, 2015, but I had no intentions of stop not drinking. None at all. Absolutely none. I cut back a little bit, but not much. Were you playing a game with yourself? I was playing a game with other people. Really? Yeah. They call it they call it back problems. They had back problems. 
had a wife on my back. I had a boss on my back. I had my kids on my back. I had some friends on my back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a phrase that they use in AA. I had back problems. So, so I was doing that and putting up this smoke screen for everybody to see that look at my keys getting help. Yeah. In the meantime, now I have to hide. I have to hide my liquor. I have to hide everything. There's none in the house. So you have to figure out how you're going to get it, where you're going to keep it, and how you're going to mask it. Well, everybody knew that, that I was still drinking. There was I wasn't hiding anything. And uh, I thought I pulled off that scam pretty well for a, almost the better part of two years. And then uh, that's when the choice was no longer there. Right. And that happened on August 4th of 2017. And that happened in a doctor's office. The day before, I just started a new job. Not wrenching, but uh, being a service advisor. That's the goal. When you get to a certain age, you lock up the toolbox, push it in a corner, and pick up a pen. And uh, I just started a new gig on Thursday. Friday, I was at the doctor's office. And uh, the nurse practitioner walked in and took my blood pressure. And she was probably in there all of maybe two minutes. But she looked at me, and she left and went and got my doctor, who had been my doctor for quite a while, and brought him in. And he said, you have to straighten your act out. And he said, you're going to Silver Cross tonight. Before anything happens, you're going to Silver Cross tonight. And he immediately turned to my wife and said, or you start making arrangements. I give him two weeks. That was the, the incident that shook that shook the world. So that you knew that your life was on the clock because yeah, liver because disease. Yeah, liver disease. Liver disease, bad. And what and what is the technical term for liver disease? What Cirrhosis of the liver. Cirrhosis, which eventually um, morphs into uh, cancer of the liver. So between 2016 2017, you you played the game of. Check yourself in, check yourself out. Yeah. This happened several times. Yeah. Multiple times. I experienced a couple of them. And I I never knew what you would say technically as an alcoholic. We'd always make jokes. Alcoholics are quitters that stop drinking. You know mm -hmm. all the all the jokes behind it. Yep. But I've I've never experienced anybody firsthand with addiction. And you were the first person I've I've I knew that looked that demon in the eye and dealt with it. And, and there were times where you needed to you know borrow for money for tools. Looking back, it was probably for booze. Because it was. There were several times, and I'm like, you needed money. I gave you money, you know. Uh, but it was for booze. Looking back now, and he had a good idea then, possibly. But I don't question if if, if a brother needs a hand, I'm le I'm lending and, a hand. And an alcoholic will lie, cheat, and steal his way to a drunk. And, and that was going on. Yeah. W one of the most powerful moments for me during the 2016 to 2017 to the, was, you said August 2nd? Or August 4th. August 4th. Between August 4th and of 2017 and May of 2016 is I got a call from the missus, and she was pretty, uh, pretty upset. So I like I'm gonna come down, and she's like I had to pick him up on the side of the road. He pulled over, 
He said, pick me up. I don't know if you remember this or not. It's that was long. one time I had to call her to come get me. And the one time you had to call her, I walk in. I'm like, where's he at? Because I made the promise to you and the missus saying, whatever you need, whenever you need it, call me. And if, if something happens, call me. I have resources. If it's not myself, someone that's trusted will come and help. And she called, and she's like, I need your help. I said, what's wrong? What happened? I had to pick him up on the side of the road. He said, call, call me. He couldn't even drive. He's that's, that's how bad he was. He goes, Kyle, I couldn't imagine how many other times he was actually driving, but this time he was so bad he couldn't even drive. I said, okay, uh, I'll come by the house. So I came by, and she was visibly upset. I'm like, where's he at? He's upstairs sleeping. I'm like, does he have a meeting? Has he called the sponsor? And now the only thing I know of this regarding like sponsors and meetings was just talking to you in, in that year of how, how this worked, how the programs worked. And that's my education. It was just purely from you. And I went upstairs and you were sleeping in bed and you were out, out cold. And so there's a technique with your knuckles where you rub on the chest to wake somebody up. And I raked your chest, Mike, probably for about a good 30 seconds to a minute and your chest probably hurt like hell the next day because I, I don't know if I possibly probably broke your sternum. I apologize yeah. if I did, yeah. but you weren't moving and I had to make sure that you were going to move and you moved and I'm like, get up. And you were more or less playing the playing like a child and I'm, I'm not getting up. I'm like, get the bleep up. You're getting up. Let's go. And I more or less had to get you dressed. I got you dressed. I carried you down the stairs. I put you in the uh, Toyota. I think it was the Toyota back then. What was yeah. her car? And I, I carried you out downstairs. I told her, where's, where's the meeting at? Because you wouldn't tell me. Where does he go? And she told me. And I carried you in. And I, we get there. And I carried you, put you in the car. Got got you to the door, to the front door. You you said you couldn't walk. And I remember I armbarred you. We walked in. I, and I don't know if it's taboo for me not to walk into the meetings. There was a meeting going on. I literally carried you in. I put you on the seat. I don't remember any of that. I had your arm locked like this. Like, you know how a bouncer throws somebody yeah. out? <laughs> and and you said you couldn't walk. And we pulled right up to the handicap spot at the basement down the street. And I pulled right up to the handicap spot. And you're like, I can't walk. And you started acting like your legs were falling out. And I literally, I cranked your arm. And I picked you up. I'm like, you're not playing this game. And there was there was a ceremony going on there, too. And everyone was looking. And I'm like, I give two, two SHI. And I got you out of the car. I walked right in there. I'm like, which room's yours? And you pointed it out. I opened the door. There was a full-out meeting going on. Where, where can Mike sit? And, and the gentleman run, just sit here. I literally put you there. I said, I'm going to go outside and wait in the car. When I see everyone coming out, I'm going to come back in and get them. He's like, thank you. I saw everyone coming out. I got you. Went back home. Put you in. Put you back upstairs. And I, I've never experienced uh, addiction. Okay, and but that moment right there was like, this is real. This isn't. This isn't. A, this isn't playtime or you know people use it as an excuse. Well, if you took me uh, down here to the church that was on a Thursday, it was Thursday. It was on a Thursday because that's when that meeting's there. Because there was graduation going on. It, it was in May. It was. It was May of. 2017 and I remember personally I was just petrified that because everyone I went kids went to school there everyone knew me and I was literally in a tank top and a pair of like sh house shorts with sandals on 
And I got out. I literally dragged you out. And I gave two hoots what people thought. And I carried you, literally carried you in like a bouncer. Sat you down. The janitor looked at me, said hello, said hi. Went back into your wife's car. And I sat there until I saw everybody coming out. And that was the moment where I realized addiction's real. Because yep. you, if you're not around it, you don't know. You don't, you don't know about it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is something else. Once you ex- experience something like that for the first time from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. uh, it could be very scary scary situation and uh i honestly i don't remember any of that yeah until you just told me yeah i had no recollection of that yeah and uh i appreciate that well i told you from the very beginning in that garage i said whatever you need whatever and whenever you need it whatever we can do and if i have the ability to do it or if i have the resources to do it i'll do it and and that's you know that's what i understood as somebody a friend of somebody that is an addict that you've got to be there and even though you might not truly understand what they're going through just at least be have an open ear keep your mouth shut and your ears open you know that's usually the best or if there's resources that they need you provide the resources if it's help in one way or another that's what i understood as many of you already know i've lost a ton of weight over the last 454 days and yes i am keeping count But I do have myself a special dinner every now and then, and that special dinner is a pizza out of Palermo's 63rd Street in Frankfurt, Illinois. Palermo's Pizza is my go-to for special treats because it has a very sweet and distinctive taste with a fantastic sauce that is recognized as Chicago's best. Palermo's 63rd Street has three locations to better serve its customers. Original location, 63rd Hamlin, City of Chicago. Palermo's the 63rd in Frankfurt at 446 South LaGrange Road. That's the location I go to all the time. And you have Palermo's the 63rd in Maryville, Indiana, 2893 East 81st Avenue. Visit Palermo's the 63rd to get all three locations phone numbers at www.palermo's63rd.com. When you call or order that pizza tonight, tell them Kyle sent you. One of the, let's see, August 4th, August 3rd of 2017 was the last day I took a drink. That was the last time I ever ever took a drink. And then um, that Friday I did not because I knew I was going to the doctor. So I white knuckled through it. Explain the white knuckle through it, what that means. Your body goes into detox. Okay, and to and those that don't know detox, let's start at moment one of you. Well, well, so you had the, your, your the, last you day start, of drinks. You start to get become overwhelmed. First of all, you're going to start sweating. You're going to start shaking. Um, you get the, the delirium tremors. Uh, at one point when I was at Silver Cross for a four-day detox, uh, when I was in detox, I was hallucinating. Uh, so I was told. Because uh, you don't really don't remember the first day when you're there. But my body was going into detox because it had to have that alcohol to function. And I couldn't give it to it. Because I knew that I had to go to the doctor. I was going to the doctor's office and I couldn't show up there drunk. And I knew something was wrong because I was putting on a lot of weight in a short amount of time. 
and I was starting to get jaundice. I knew something was something was wrong. And at that time, uh, my good friend Jack told me there was nothing wrong. That was my Jack dictated my life. And gives Jack last name Daniels. Yeah, and he comes in the form of a bottle. Yes. Yeah. So. I was at Silver Cross. When I got to Silver Cross, they immediately stuck a tube in, in my side yeah. and took 12 liters of fluid out. That's a lot of fluid. That's why I was so big. My legs were, looked like tree stumps. And then uh, I was there for eight days. Eight days. I got out of there after the first eight days and... I remember my wife came in, it came in like after the third day, uh, she finally came to the hospital and, uh, she says, you know what your blood type is? I'm like, I could really care less what my blood type is. I got to figure out how I'm going to stay sober <laughs> so that I don't die soon. And I don't know how to do it. She said your blood types be positive. So that became our model through that whole illness. I was out of the hospital two days. One of the side effects of liver disease is something called um, esophageal varices. Uh, you have varicose veins in your esophagus. Two days after I got home, it was in the middle of the night, probably about 11 o'clock. I was feeling pretty bad, and I thought I was going to start throwing up. And I, I was staying in, in uh, one of my daughter's rooms so I wouldn't bother my wife because she had to get up for work the next day. And uh, I went in the bathroom, and I, one of the varicose veins in my esophagus burst. And I started bleeding out, enough to the point where the paramedics were freaked out. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That was another five days. So that whole, that whole thing, what happens is every two weeks you go get drained out. Uh, once at least once a month, you're going in to get a hemorrhoid in your esophagus tied off because you start bleeding again. Nothing as bad as that first time, but you do. Your life is basically over. You live in your bed in the bathroom, and if you could muster up enough energy, you go to AA. Now, the worst part about that whole thing, though, it was uh, after I got out of the hospital the second time. Uh, I had to go into one of the meetings that I was going to on Tuesday night. And I had to humble myself, which is not in my vocabulary. I am not humble at all. And say... Starting when? You're awfully <laughs> humble now. <laughs> yeah, right? So I had, to, uh, I had to tell these people what was going on. And I said, I seriously, sincerely need your help now. Because I discounted anything they were telling me for the, the two years. I didn't listen to them. I never got a sponsor. I wasn't working steps. I thumbed through the big book. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And what's nope. the big book? The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. I'm not doing any of that. It said on my nightstand. Never. And occasionally, now here's alcoholic thinking. Uh, I would just move the bookmark. So it looks like I was reading the book. Playing the game. Playing the game. So, Were you playing the game to appease your family? 
Or were you playing the game because you were in such a rabbit hole of addiction where you you were more, I hate to say delusional, but you were in your own false reality. Oh, absolutely. Everyone believed you. Absolutely. I thought everybody believed it, but nobody believed it because everybody knew I was still drinking. They have a tactic in AA when you go to a meeting. Someone will come up to you and say, let me look into those eyes. And the reason they do that is so they can get close enough to smell you. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of their tactics. I, I knew it for a while because when you were gone that we would look through the garbage cans, I would find all your booze. Mm-hmm. Colleen and I would find your bottles, the little tiny shooters, the airplane bottles. That was lunch. We found them a in the 10-pack gar- of early times was lunch. We, we found them in the garbage can. I mean, that was my job. Is I found drugs in cars for a little while. Finding a bottle in a garage, be a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. If I could find a rock in a car, I could find a <laughs> bottle in a garage. And I knew it. I smelt it. And you, you know, and again, being in law enforcement, you know the masking of Listerine over booze. Mm-hmm. And you also know the smell of booze the next day because mm-hmm. it's very distinct. It's a very, very distinct smell. But then I did not understand the game. The, the, the psychology of your brain, of an addict's brain, thinking that you're pulling one over on all of us, and yep. you're thinking you're winning the game. Well, my friend was convincing me that of that. And Jack Daniels. My buddy put, Jack. He would put that thought yep. of everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Wow. Don't worry about a thing. So you're draining a liter of fluid from your body. I remember just how jaundiced you were and how abdominal 12 bloated. liters. 12 liters. The first time. Remember how abdominal bloated. And this is a horrific analogy, but this is the best analogy that I can think of, is when, when you see some of the really sad third world videos of poor, starving people mm-hmm. in third world countries and how they're abdominal bloated. It literally looked like they you eat a melon, like an entire watermelon oh, whole. Yeah. And it sits in your belly. That that was you. Not only that, but your your legs were the size of, of your thighs. Yeah, you, you, it's nearly impossible to bend over and put your shoes and socks on. Yeah, it is. You couldn't. Yeah, and then you're trying to function somehow. Uh, trying to function. Uh, when I started. Uh, a friend of my wife's that she worked with, who's retired now, she knew a guy, and uh, he had 12-stepped her 25 years ago, and he wasn't taking anybody on. He didn't want any sponsees anymore. He just wants to carry the message the way he carries the message. Anyway, he agreed to, to talk to me, so I finally gave him a call. And I met him. And this was the turning point. See, the thing was, I was going to meetings at 6 o'clock or 6.30 at night. By then, it's too late. <laughs> I had all day in my head to drink. It's all in my head. It's okay. We can have a couple. We've got to wean ourselves off of this. So by 6.30 at night, it's too late. I'm hammered. And going to a meeting. The turning point was... Uh, the next day after I met my first sponsor, he said, you're going to a meeting at seven o'clock in the morning. Be there. I said, where at? It was uh, on 
Wolf Road behind a Rios Pizza in Mokina. So I went there, and then I remember him telling me, okay, see you tomorrow morning. You're going to come here two days in a row? No, you're going to come here every day. Every day, 7 a.m. And then as the disease progressed, the liver disease progressed, it was harder and harder to get up in the morning. And then eventually, uh, the third time I was in the hospital was for an ammonia hit. Too much ammonia. Yeah. And I went nuts. Literally went nuts. Didn't know I lost all time. Didn't know where I was, what I was doing, who I was, who was around me, anything. That's part of the liver disease. So that was the next third time I was in the hospital. And then that's when he came to see me first time and um, talked to me some more. And then I got convinced. He convinced me that if I start my day off with a meeting, the rest of the day I'll be, I'll be okay until they get to that night meeting. And it worked. That was the turning point was that 7 a.m. meeting at Mokina Fellowship. When you showed up to a meeting and you're and you're intoxicated, were you was it was it like a sense of shame, of severe guilt, like oh, why am I coming here? I'm, I'm loaded. And sometimes, sometimes, but not usually. Not usually. There was nothing wrong with me. Because I have no reason to be here. Your friend Jack talked yeah. you through it. I have no reason to be here. None at all. More or less, you were the t- char- a character yeah. that said, I, have an, ex- I have an excuse that other people to, to go there so I keep other people off my ass. That was the reason I was going to AA. I wasn't going to AA to get sober. That was the farthest thing from my mind. I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. I'm not doing this. But I'll sit here and I'll eat your candy and I'll throw a dollar in the bucket and then I'll go home. Wow. I did that for the better part of two years. One of many things Chicago is known for is its seasons, specifically construction season, then pothole season. Pothole season is fastly approaching. With potholes comes flat tires. And I got a place for you if you get the flat tire. With two locations in the Chicago suburbs, TM Tire is both a passenger car tire and a commercial truck tire sales and service shop. Their friendly staff will be happy to quote you on any new tires, which also includes sales and service of semi-truck tires. To all of our truck driver friends, TM Tire also recaps and sells semi-truck tires. After you receive the quote from the Crestwood and New Lenox, Illinois locations, tell them Kyle from the Unsprayed Podcast sent you, and you'll receive $5 off the labor of every new tire purchased. So you're the one sponsor hit. You started going twice a day, mm-hmm. first thing in the morning and then in the evening. Yep. You were in, we'll say, the end stages of, of liver failure. Again, fluid drained out of your abdomen weekly. Two weeks, bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. You, I remember the ammonia incident. I, I remember all these incidents. And then you got... I basically became a frequent flyer with the Orland Fire Department. Yes. <laughs> then the cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, you, you got a spot on your liver. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? They did... Uh, what they did at... Uh, when I finally was, 
the doctors wanted me at Silver Cross wanted me to go to U, U, I, U of I. So we call it the insurance company. University of Illinois. Yeah. To get in their, their, their program. We call it the insurance company. And I believe God had a hand in this. Because he said, uh, the insurance company said, you have to go to Northwestern. Which turns out to be the best choice. So I got uh, signed up in their liver program. Explain that. Uh, well, basically what it is, is the first thing they do after they interview you the second time you're there, um, you're given a social worker, you're given a surgeon, you're given a nurse, you're given a shrink, and you're given a, a nutritionist. And they prescribe a bunch of pills just to keep your body functioning as, as best as it could. And they make... Because legally they can't tell you to do anything. They make suggestions. I said, this sounds like an AA meeting. Everybody's suggesting I do this and suggesting I do. And the social worker said, when Northwestern suggests or recommends you do something, you do it. I had to document and get signatures of all the meetings I went to. Uh, I could not miss a doctor's appointment for any excuse or any reason at all. And then the American Liver Foundation protocol is you have to be sober, clean and sober for six months before you can get put on the uh, transplant list. So they have a list yes. for individuals that abuse their liver. Yes. You get put on a transplant list. A transplant list. But uh, it was sometimes, uh, at first it was going to Northwestern quite a bit every other week usually right. for testing all kinds of tests, monitoring blood tests. There's blood tests every week. Uh, it was just all kinds of stuff that you had to do uh, so that you had to follow the rules. There was no mistake in it. So I was doing the AA thing. I was staying sober and going to Northwestern. And at, after that ammonia thing, uh, I was not allowed to drive anymore. So... Now I have to figure out how to get, get to meetings. Uh, one of the things in AA is called 12-step work. You would do anything for another alcoholic to help him stay sober. Anything. People would come and pick me up and take me to meetings. My wife would take me to meetings and come back and pick me up. Whatever it took to get me to meetings and to keep me sober. That's what the people of Alcoholics Anonymous did. Even though with my previous track record with these people, that was all water under the bridge. Because when I went to that first meeting and I told them what was going on and that I sincerely have to stop and I really, really need your help. Uh, one of the guys who is actually my sponsor now, he said, okay, guys, you know what we got to do? We got to keep this one alive. That's what he said. The past was gone. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. So... So up to that point, there was a lot of collateral damage that happens. Mm -hmm. What happened with family? Uh, well, my wife was ready to toss in the towel. If I wouldn't have got sick, she was gone. Yeah. It was plain and simple. She was out. Um, the daughters, they didn't want to come around. My oldest daughter, when, she was, would come, when they would come to town, they would usually stay with us quit happening they would stay at 
my son-in-law's parent mother's house mm-hmm. in Romeoville or Bolingbrook instead and then just pop in for one day and that would be it. And the only time we saw him that I saw her. Uh, that's, that's the sort of thing. But during the active, when you're active, that stuff didn't matter. Active as in using? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. During your time when you're, you know, if that's the way you're going to be, fine. I don't need you. I don't need you. Because you got Jack. Yeah. Jack's your friend. Jack's, Jack's your friend. I got Jack. And it makes you good no yep. matter what. Jack says, don't worry about these people. You don't need these people. So the family. Was- Friends. Uh, there was a, uh, some, a bunch of, couple of guys that stuck around and uh, helped out. Uh, you know, my friend Bob from yeah. the band. Yeah. And then another guy that, uh, uh, that I didn't know was at the time 11 years sober that was in one of the bands I was working for. Yeah. And uh, that was, uh, those guys stuck around, guys like that, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I got sick. That's when, uh, that's when the true friends started showing up. Guys like you, guys like Jerry, uh, Bob, Chick, you know, and a couple other fellas. Yeah. You know, my buddy from North Carolina, he had come to town once, Jeff, he came into town once and we had a nice talk and, and, uh, my buddy Dan, who lives in Minnesota, he came in around Christmas time and, uh, we were had a nice talk, but Mm -hmm. everybody else disappeared. Everybody else disappeared. Yeah. Acquaintances that I thought were friends. They weren't friends at all. They were acquaintances, people I drank with. You know, when, when tragedy comes, acquaintances disappear. Friends stick around. So. What about financially? How much? Well, I couldn't work. I couldn't work. I couldn't go to work. So uh, after a couple of months, uh, we signed up for uh, Social Security Disability. And um, thankfully, uh, we started getting that after six weeks. Because sometimes it takes a long time to get that. But then again, it's all the paperwork, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, doing everything everybody's telling me to do. And so that that was where everything, that's when things started to get better financially. Before that, you know, I, was, I knew how much money I had to give on Friday. Everything else was mine, plain and simple. If I did side jobs, that money's mine. Undisclosed income, that's money. I would never show my checks to them, never. When I fill out deposit slips, it only has the amount of the deposit. Hiding everything. You have to hide it all. You don't have a choice. Yeah. So you're in the liver program now. Yep. You are, I would say, months away. Months away from more or less moving on, checking out. Yep. But you also had a big event that was right right around the corner. It was your daughter's wedding. In uh, June. In June. June of 16. So in June of 16 was the wedding. No, not no, 17. No, 17. June no. Is, 18. June of 18. June of 18. Yeah, June, June of 18. 18 was the wedding. And you you were pretty bad. I'm going to say you were beyond bad to the point where it was just like, you know, 
if, if I saw the ambulance one more time, I probably had a good idea why it, w- it wasn't for uh, tune-ups anymore. No, I didn't stub my toe. No, there were no, <laughs> no more, no more tune-ups. It, it was no. it was the last run because you were so jaundiced and you were so bloated. I went down to about 165 pounds, and about 65 of that was in your belly mm-hmm. and your legs holding the water from bloat. Your daughter's wedding was coming up, and you you got no calls for the liver. Well, here's when they talk to you at Northwestern, like, why do you why do you want this? Why do you think you you want this so bad? I said I have a daughter getting married next June, and one way or another, if I have to do it in a wheelchair, I'm walking her down the aisle. It don't matter. One way or another, if I'm alive, I'm going. So. Fortunately, the doctors and, and the nurse that I had, they were great people. I'll tell you why Northwestern was the best place to go, because I know people that went to Rush that have been transplanted, and I know people that went to UIC that have been transplanted, and more often than not, they have complications after transplant, and their medicine stays very high, and they don't decrease their rejection medic- medicine at all. Uh, I don't know anybody from, that came out of Northwestern with any complications. I had none. Zero complications. We're, so we, we're going to get to the transplant part. Okay. But with your daughter's wedding, was that your why? Is that kept your fire lit of like, I got to live? Yep. That there's, yep. I got to live and I got to get my, I got to get clean and I got to stay clean. And it w- was that... Was that your fire, your drive? That was my motivation. Was your daughter's wedding? Yes. That you needed to walk her down the aisle. Absolutely. And whatever happened after that, then you know we'll just deal with it. But I need to make it to this day. I need to be there. That was June of eighteen. Yep. Things were getting really bad coming up to Mother's Day. Yep. Very very bad. Yep. I get a knock on the door. I think this is. I'm getting my timeline right. I think well, I have it right. First of all, the Northwestern's protocol is higher than than uh, American Liver Foundation because I hit six months. I'm like, great, I get to get on the list now, right? Oh no, eight months. So I have to wait another two months before I can even get on the list, and then sit there and rot away waiting for a liver. Yeah. What is the life expectancy of a, a severe cirrhosis of the liver? Well. At first, I was told if I don't go to the hospital right now, um, it would be weeks. Literally weeks. Because all that fluid starts crushing your organs. And your body would just shut off. He told me two weeks. The doctor told me two weeks. Um, depending on uh, the, how the medication works, if the liver starts to regenerate itself, um, it could go on, you could have a normal, healthy life in a matter of months. I know people whose livers have regenerated themselves. But yours was so shot. It was too far gone. It wouldn't, it, it wasn't responding to the medication. It wasn't responding to anything. So you, you were had to wait now for this list where yeah. literally you might, you're a month or two shy of making it. What, did you have a back? What was a backup? Did you look for any t- possible, uh, you know, helpers where if I had half a liver, I can give it to you, or if I had a portion? My oldest daughter, now going from not wanting anything to do with me, 
and in a matter of seven months because of my actions during this period uh, she volunteered to be a live donor she would commute and sometimes i didn't even know about it uh, she would she lived in memphis tennessee at the time and she would commute from memphis <clears throat> take a train from memphis after work on friday be at northwestern protesting on saturday and get on a train and go back to memphis most of the time i didn't know that i found out about all of that after after the fact so we were scheduled i was on a liver list for two weeks this, 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 she started her stuff at like seven months. Anyway, we got scheduled to, for the surgery. They said her liver will regenerate itself because it's so healthy in a matter of six weeks. That's it. We're going to take the big chunk out of her, leave her a little chunk, and it'll grow back. Six to eight weeks. So we were scheduled for May 22nd of 2018 for the surgery. And that's when both of us were going to go under the knife. And then um, May 15th. What day is May 15th? Mother's Day. Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day. I felt pretty good, good enough. So we went to uh, an open AA speaker meeting in Payless, breakfast meeting. And uh, in fact, my sponsor at the time, he said, you know, as sick as you are, you still haven't lost your appetite. <laughs> So I'm sitting there pounding on it, pounding on pancakes and bacon. Anyway, we left there, and the plan was, after that, we're gonna stop at the cemetery where my mom's at, and then we're gonna go to Jewel, get some flowers for her her mom, and then we're gonna spend a day as long as I can tolerate it at her parents' house. So that was the plan. So we left the meeting. She said, "You still wanna you wanna go home, or you wanna go?" So no, we gotta go. We have to go to the cemetery. So we went to the cemetery. And uh, because it's Mother's Day, of course. Mm -hmm. So Colleen w turned around and was walking back to the car. And I just said, you know, Mom, I'm not feeling too good here. Uh, I could use a little help. <laughs> so and then I turned around and walked away. And I leave this up to anybody's interpretation. I know what I believe in my heart happened we went to jewel and i waited in the van because i didn't want to get up get out of the van until we got to her parents house and um northwestern called this is like within a half an hour 40 minutes of leaving that cemetery northwestern called and said we got a liver for you come and get it i believe it was divine intervention so see about 10 minutes after Colleen gets in the car. I'm well, I went, I got out of the car and I went over to the flower tent and she was in the checkout. And there's other people there. I said, are you almost done here? And uh, she said, yeah, why? Northwestern called. They got a liver. We got to go. And people that were standing around there, they're like freaking out. <laughs> yeah. So we get home. She says, okay, what are you going to do? I, she says, I have to call him back within an hour and tell him if I'm coming. You didn't tell him yes? I said, no. So we got home, I made the phone call, and the first thing I said, because I was already scheduled for surgery, it didn't matter. Right. First thing I said, was there any children that could use this liver? I'm already scheduled for another week and a half. Nope, no, nope. this is your liver, it's a perfect match. Be here, 
5.30, come in through the emergency room, because it was on a Sunday, come in through the emergency room, and someone would be there waiting for you. So we'd pack a bag and do, drive down to Northwestern. About and 10 minutes after you guys got home, I get a knock at our door, a frantic knock. And Colleen's at the door, just like, I mean, in a, I would say in almost in a, a panic, panic, a psychosis <laughs> of, and my stomach dropped. I'm like, where is he? Because I thought something happened. And she's like, yeah, watch Bruce. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go to the hospital. And Bruce is the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Wayne, he, he's, the, he's the great dog. And I said, I'm like, okay, what do you need? Mike got a liver. And she, I'm just like, what? Whatever you need, go. Go. Just give me the keys. We'll take care of the dog. You do what you got to do. I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. I remember that like it was yesterday. And that's where my little guy, we learned how to walk dogs. We, <laughs> we learned how to walk with Bruce. Yeah. And uh, it, that was like, it, it was like one of the most powerful days I remember living here is knowing that literally the Grim Reaper was one handshake away from you. It was one handshake away from you. And then leading from those days behind, like I just remember just every day and how it just got progressively got worse. And to the point where, like I said, the next ambulance trip was probably going to be the last ambulance trip. Mm-hmm. And then like that, you you got yourself a liver. Now, outside looking in, I, it was just, it was the most amazing, amazing display of God's intervention, mm-hmm. period. I believe that. I believe it. I, there's I, there's no other words of saying it is that's what happened. And here's my outsider view, the reason why. You abused your first one. You killed it. Why would you get a liver? Exactly. When you mistreated the first one. You you blatantly disregarded said, I hate you, liver. I'm going to kill you. Yep. Jack's going to kill you. Yep. And I'm going to help Jack. And then you got a liver. Yep. I it was just, it's, it's still to this day amazing. Now, what the most amazing part of this is, you got your liver. You were home. How many days after the liver? Nine days. How many days were you supposed to stay in the hospital? We were planning on staying down there up to 20 days. After, on the fifth day, uh, we went, came down from the, from the room and uh, was in the, we went into the transplant clinic because I had to go down there every day or they'd come up to me for the first couple of days. And uh, that's when the nurse said that she was looking for, I'm looking for Michael Lethington. Well, that's me. He was looking at the paperwork. Looking at me, that's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. One of the things that that happened, and and they were, the nurses were uh, amazed, is um, they want you up out of bed as soon as possible. The first time I got out of bed, I was using a walker, of course. I walked ten feet, and then ten feet back. Uh, that was the day after transplant. Explain uh, to the listeners your beautiful uh, reminder of what a liver transplant does to your body. What, what is Where does this start on your body and where does it end? When you go in there, you are so sick 
you're exhausted mentally, physically, spiritually exhausted. Rock bottom. You don't want to go anywhere else. You don't want to do nothing else. You don't want nothing. Just leave me here. Just leave me here to die. It's over. I'm not going to get fixed. And then nine, five days later, you, you go in to the, to, the, to the operating room that sick. And then you come out eight and a half hours later and you're cured. Literally. Your color comes back almost immediately. Your eyes, the whites of your eyes come back within hours. Everything. So when you went in, I've had multiple surgeries, but they're all for tendon repairs or some type of <laughs> my self-damage of body. Colleen was by you? Mm-hmm. Yep. She gave you a kiss. Do you remember any of this? She what? She gave you a kiss. I love yeah, you. Yeah. Kiss yeah. and a prayer. Yep. We were, when we were up in the room before they brought us down, uh, she was reading some of my favorite passages from the Bible. What are they? To me, uh, mostly mostly Psalms. Okay. Some of the stuff from John, some of it's from Luke. Uh, I couldn't recite it to you now. Cause uh, when did God come into your life during this process? The cemetery. And literally, that was the day. Off. Well, actually, no. I have. I have. The first time I was in the hospital after, on the fourth or fifth day. Um, there's another side to this whole story. It was one day I was coming home from work. I was leaving work early, and it was legitimately leaving early for because there was nothing for me to do. He told me to go home. I went past two liquor stores and a bar, and I pulled into this little church right down the road here yes. called St. Andrews. Yeah, I remember. And I walked in the front door, and I sat down in the back pew. Here comes this, this uh, little fella around the corner, the southern draw. Can I help you? My name's Mike. I'm an alcoholic, and I need some help. This was before I was diagnosed with the sickness, with the liver disease. He said, how did you get in here? I said, came into the front door. Those doors are never unlocked except for Sunday. There's no reason for you to be, be able to come in that door because I come in through the back door. That's the only door that's unlocked when I'm here during the week. Explain that. And then Pastor Frank, and when he came to the hospital, and as in the first time he came in to, to visit me, and I asked him straight out, and I said, uh, why is God doing this to me? He said, God's not doing this to you. You did this to yourself. I suggest you get closer to God, and I'm going to show you how to do that. And, it's, and then another thing he said is, you want, you want religion, come to my church. You want spirituality, come to my office. Pastor Frank and I had a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings during that time, during that eight and a half months. Wow. So you go, you get wheeled in. You and <clears throat> Colleen do your last-minute things. Anesthesiologist is like, we'll see you in a little bit. Well, the, the, uh, the anesthe anesthesiologist, he come out and to introduce himself and tell, explain what's going to go on. He comes out and introduces himself. I said... Oh, so you're taking me to see the wizard, huh? I'm trying to keep a sense of humor. Right. You know, you're taking yeah. me to the land of Oz, right? Is that what I understand? Yeah. He goes, well, yeah, basically. <laughs> he was a young guy. He was real good. And then uh, then the surgeon comes out with his right hand, comes up, and uh, my wife calls him uh, 
Dr. McDreamy. So she's, this surgeon's explaining in a short amount of time what is going to happen. And the whole time my wife is drooling over this doctor. <laughs> she's got like crazy anatomy flashbacks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 He was a, a rather handsome man. Yeah. So, of course, it wasn't the hot redhead from Grey's Anatomy that came yeah. in. It was uh, oh. so. <laughs> It's 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 no big deal that your husband's getting wheeled in and getting his guts ripped yeah. out, uh, but the surgeon, boy, is he hot! Yeah, he's gorgeous. Yeah. Anyway, I'm trying to keep a sense of humor through this whole thing, right. and I'm just like, okay, let's rock and roll, Doc. Let's get this party started. He goes, "We're getting there. We're getting there." So they take me into this operating room, and it's nothing like the operating rooms you see on TV. <laughs> it doesn't resemble it one bit. There's people over here doing stuff. There's people back here doing stuff. There's people all over the place doing stuff. Dozens of people. There's Yeah. There had to be 10 people in there doing stuff. At your feet, there's this giant, like, 80-inch TV screen. Uh, there's these four really big, bright lights above you. I mean, they're big. Not just one, like on TV. And behind your head is this machine that's, that's, that's hissing and, and wheezing. <laughs> And they're strapping you in, they strap you down. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh, man. And I say to the, the nurse, this dude, that's, he's strapping this arm down, and I'm already strapped in except here, and he's starting to put the IVs in, the IV ports in. Right. He had to put three of them in there, in my arm. There was one in this arm and then two more in this arm. And I just looked, and I said, y'all got a lot of nice toys in here. He goes, yeah, Mike, we got a lot of nice toys. <laughs> I mean, the guy that was arranging the, the, the hemostats and all that stuff, there had to be 500 of them that he's arranging in a certain order on this board to get ready. And then the nurses are fixing up the table and all this other stuff, all this activities going on. Just an orchestra. Yeah. And uh, there was organized chaos. An organized chaos orchestra to save your life. And uh, so the... the um, anesthesiologist comes up and he goes, Mike, you got to settle down a little bit. Your heart rates up, your blood pressures through the roof. I'm going to give you something to settle you down. And he gave me a shot, and that's the last thing I remember until I woke up. And you woke up. Yep. So you woke up, and you were talking about you had to take 10 steps. You had to start taking 10 steps. I walked 10 feet the first 10 day. feet. That was the day after surgery. After two days, actually, because I was in intensive care for a day. So liver transplant surgery is not like getting your knee scoped or getting your appendix removed or getting a uh, your tonsils out. How big is that scar around your waist right now? 27 inches. Literally goes from one end of the rib cage to the other end of the rib cage. Yep, straight across. Had 36 staples. 36 staples. And I saw those when you came home because you were showing them off like they were like the WWE my, championship belt. My trophy. Your trophy belt. My like, recovery look at me, man. trophy. <laughs> and you lift up your sh- I remember you lift, you lift up your shirt and I look at it. I'm like, holy hell, Mike, you look like a Pez dispenser. He's like, I got a brand new liver, man. I feel great. Just yeah. You were so glowing of life. They, they, they kicked the side of the hospital for five days and they put you up at a hotel. Near the hospital. To they risk us, infection. Yeah, it's yeah. to limit infection. Yeah. They, so they, um, well, the second day I was out of bed walking, I made it, the, the floor has like the nurse's station is a pass through and then the other side of the nurse's yeah. station is pass through and then all the way on down to the end. The second day I was up, I made it to that first pass through. Walked around that. I was determined to get out of the hospital. 
because I'd been in the hospital so much, so much for that eight and a half months that I was sick of it. The next day, I went all the way to the nurse's station and came back around, did the bigger loop. And then the, the, th the third day that I was out of bed walking, which is actually the fourth day there, was, I went all the way around the loop and then in the morning and then in the afternoon again with a walker. It was, it was hard. It was really hard. So then you put it, they put us up in a place called the Renaissance Suite. Outside our back door was the John Hancock building. You're on the Mag Mile at a hotel that the American Liver Foundation pays for. $300 a night. We were there four days. That's when they sent, told us, okay, you can go. You can go home. All right, no, let's get the shuttle back to the hotel. No, Mike, you can go home. Nine days. And you said it's 15 to 20-something days. Yeah. yeah, we were expecting to spend up to 20 days there. So you cut that in half. Yep. You come home. Yep. And you are a brand new person. Literally. Yeah. Brand new. You're, you probably had a, some type of, uh, reconciliation with the, with the girls, with the daughters prior to that, because they probably saw that. Hey, well, things prior to that, because they saw that I was actually stopped drinking and I was trying. It was real. It was real. Yeah. They saw it. Yeah. I mean, why would, why would she agree to she, I said, you don't have to do, why are you doing that? I didn't even hear it when she volunteered at the, in the doctor's office. Scully pointed that out to me afterwards. And I asked her, why, why would you even want to do that? Because I don't want you to die. You're my dad. Yeah. So, but that's, that's like the six-month mark. Yeah. So, so they sent us home. Uh, Twelve days out of transplant, I walked into an AA meeting. Now, I was fixed. I didn't, wasn't going to go back to AA. I was fixed. I got what I wanted from them, kept me sober for the eight months so I can get my liver, and then I could move on with my life. The problem with being sober, and uh, there's two problems. Not only do you get your feelings back, which is a good thing, but just to get your feelings back, which is a bad thing. It's hard to explain. And you get a conscience. And I said to myself, when I was sitting at home, deciding what I was going to do, and I said, well, I don't have to worry about the money because I'm on disability for who knows how long. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that anymore. It, the pre-op team is gone. Now I have a post-op team. Take some pills. I'm good. Twelve days out of transplant, I walked into in good conscience because I couldn't turn my back on these people. Because they didn't turn their back I couldn't, on you. I, they didn't turn their back on me. I couldn't turn my back on them. Twelve days out of transplant, I walk into an AA meeting. These people were floored. They couldn't believe what they were saying. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm here. Let's rock and roll. Let's get sober. I remember my first sponsor said to me, so physically you feel good? I said, yeah, I feel real good physically. Still got a lot of pain, but I feel pretty good. He goes, good, now let's get well. So that's what we did. So you walked in to this meeting, mm -hmm. and I mean, I, I'm going to call for what it is. I'm sure a lot of people made their peace of Mike's probably going to go. Mike's going to pass. He's, he's well, we're going to be here for him until the end. Yep. And a lot of people came to grips of to the end. Mm -hmm. 
so they didn't see him because yeah. of maybe they knew, maybe they well, didn't know. Well, what they, happened was now my my sponsor at the time, John, he done. I said, let's just kind of keep this on the low key, okay? Of the transplant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they knew I was sick, but let's keep this on the on the low key. Let's not. So I disappear for for twelve days, you know, because before that I was still sporadically hitting meetings, and any time I could get out of bed, I went to a meeting, no matter what time of day it was, or somebody come pick me up and bring me to a meeting, no matter what kind of day time of day it was. Excuse me. So I disappear for twelve days. And people have told me that we feared the worst. Right. We thought you were gone. And John didn't say nothing to us. He said he would just say, I got nothing to say about the matter. Because he, he respected the privacy. Yeah. Not only that, the confidentiality. Yep. But you had a large group that was praying for you, believing that you were making good choices and that you were on the mend of yep. uh, sobriety. Even yep. though you had the the... Grim Reaper holding on to your liver. You, you're on my A for 12 days. And so what is, I would say, any rational thinking say? Mike passed away. Mike's going to be on his way out. Or yep. Mike might be on his way out or he he left. Yeah. Then you walk in 12 days after surgery, probably 12 days prior to your last meeting because you had the surgery 12 days, we'll say 24 days, 30 days. Yeah. You're on my A, except for one person who knew that in, in your AA community. You walk in, and literally it's like the scene from like the Blues Brothers where you hear the choir singing in the yeah. background. Yeah, right. And you're like the nun. <laughs> you float in, and yeah. people's jaws hit the now ground. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't going back to AA. I got what I wanted. But I'm still f- an alcoholic. But you felt the calling of, I need to pay it back, to pay it forward. Yep. I got to pay it back. I need to pay it forward. I need to, to, to give what others gave to me. The golden rule, something we talk about on this podcast all the time, is the golden yep. rule. Golden rule. Treat others the way I you would can't want to be keep, treated. You can't keep it unless you give it away. Yeah. You walk in there, people's heads fell over. They didn't know what to do. Maybe some people like combust because they were just in such <laughs> disbelief. They didn't know what to Yeah, they're, they're like, and what do they nickname who is you? this guy? <laughs> and what do they nickname you? Liver Mike. Liver Mike. And it's, what was the biblical name they gave you? Oh, Lazarus. Why? Because I was back from the dead. You're back from the yeah. dead. My uh, sponsor gave me that. Yeah. You're back from the dead. Look who's here, Lazarus. Then I walked through the door because he picked me up to take me there. Really? Yeah. He said, come get me, John. Let's go. We'll go to the Saturday morning, it was Saturday morning meeting. Let's go. And uh, it was done at St. Stephen's in Tinley. Yeah. Eight o'clock. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah. Okay. He said, Let's go. Uh, let's go freak these people out. And <laughs> you did. And he walked into the room, and there was a bunch of people there already because there's like ten minutes to eight. Right. And put most of the people are there already. And he goes, "Yeah, I brought some. I brought some in, someone in with me today." And I walked in the door, and they're like, "Oh my shit!" And I just walked over and grabbed a cup of coffee and a donut, and I sat down like nothing ever happened. <laughs> like you literally hit pause on the tape deck. And we're going to hit play again. Yep. We're going to rock to the louder song now. Yep. It's tremendous. Your your story has gone from your foot was literally in hell. You, yep. you, were, you were touching hell. Yep. But part of your life was still on earth. You hit yep. rock bottom. You hit rock bottom with your family. 
you hit rock bottom financially. Yep. You hit rock bottom probably spiritually. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, you, you mentally. Your, your gas tank was at 1%. Yeah. One gallon. And that kept you going until this transplant yep. happened. Your why was your daughter's wedding. I needed to walk through it. But then your why exploded even more at 12 days out of surgery when you showed up to AA. Yep. As Liver Mike. Yep. Because the compel, your, your heart, God, whatever you want to call it, whatever someone believes in, said, this is not your reason why you're, the reason why you're on earth right now is because of this, because now we have to start helping others. We have to start uh, giving others. I owe it all to, uh, to my faith, uh, to my higher power, uh, and to the people of Alcoholics Anonymous. None of this would have happened. If it wasn't for those, those Pastor Frank and Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's now, how all this happened, plain and simple. How many lives have you helped now? I currently sponsor six guys. That's awesome. I'm sponsoring six guys, and all of them are sober. The one that I have now, um, he's he's a little challenging. He's uh, right now he's two weeks sober. Uh, the next one in line is seven months. And then seven, eight, ten, uh, a one year, and then there's an, uh, my right hand man because uh, mm-hmm. I can't manage all these drunks myself. <laughs> so I've got my right hand. I'm man. sorry for laughing. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm gonna laugh. <laughs> yeah. So he's uh, he'll be coming up on two years pretty soon. So the last five years of your life have literally been the yin and yang. Yep. You you went from the worst. I remember one time somebody told me I was at a meeting and somebody was talking. He goes, ah, Mike, why don't you go to hell? You don't know what you're talking about. And uh, I was coming up on maybe, coming up on uh, a year sober, as a matter of fact. It was the following August, August of 2018. And uh, Mike, you're full of crap. Why don't you just go to hell? I said, I've already been there, buddy. Yeah. You done, want to see what there, hell looks like? That. You want to see what it looks yeah. like? <laughs> been there, done that. Yeah. And I, I literally lifted up my shirt and I showed him this guy. Yeah. Because then it was really still prevalent. Because yeah. this is the Grim Reaper slash. Office. He didn't yeah. get all the way through. He just took this part. Yeah. I've already been there, buddy. Wow. Ain't going back. So there's many people that listen to this, uh, and they they might know somebody that is an addict. They might might now know somebody. That is battling addiction. Yeah, they haven't really fully embraced the help yet. What do you recommend for them? What do you recommend for? Uh, if you can, if you can do an intervention and you can get their attention, all you have to do is plant the seed. Just plant the seed, and when things start to go horribly wrong, get him to a hospital. Do not let, like especially an alcoholic, do not let him detox by himself because it will kill you. I've been through detox by myself. So alcohol detox is the only detox that could kill a human being physically. Uh, no, the same because with withdrawal. Yeah, same with uh, drug addiction yeah. too. This is our friend. Here's our friend Nala. This is our show dog. Comes down. She wants to say hello. Yeah, that's fine. So get them to a hospital. Get be, them to a hospital. There. Get them help. Okay. One way or another. Do what you have to do to get them help. If you have to club them over the head to get them there, do it. Get them help. Once the help is given, 
what are the next steps that a, a non-addict, a, somebody that's a supporter? Support. Support. Don't. Yeah. See, my wife could very easily said when they diagnosed this liver thing, she could have very easily said, well, you've really done it to yourself this time. Good Later. luck. Good luck with all that. Yeah. But she didn't. She yeah. was my support. She made all the doctor's appointments. Yeah. She made sure the prescriptions were full. Right. She made sure everything was done in order in the proper way. Yeah. All the way down to the paperwork. She would sit there at the kitchen table and count out pills. To make sure that you're doing everything to the T. Yes. What's going to be great about this is we're talking about tracking problems, and our dog, Nala, right now is just yeah. going to town on that water like she's <laughs> ran six marathons. So the slapping, slurping at the end of this, that's what you hear is Nala. Yeah. So I apologize for that. So, uh, But the support is my, to uh, be there fully. Yes. My thing with the AA, my program, uh, of course, doesn't allow relapse. Cause, and I tell the guys that want me to that ask me to sponsor them, I tell them, no, I only have one rule, and it's this. Relapse is not part of recovery, and it's unacceptable behavior. And if you can't live with that, find somebody else, because I can't be a part of that. Uh, up until recently, cause, uh, because of gifts of sobriety, uh, we now went from literally weeks away from losing our home to uh, we now have two. We have this house here, and we have a, a camper in Wilmington at a very nice park, Gifts of Sobriety. And the Gifts of Sobriety keep coming. They come every day. Every day you're sober. August 4th of this year, was four, so we, our, my family and I, celebrated four years of sobriety. Four years. Four years. Holy hell. Yep. August 4th. It seems like it was yesterday. Yep. So... Five years, you, you went from just about to lose your home. And my program says I have to do 14 meetings a week. I start my day with a prayer and a meeting, and I end my day with a meeting and a prayer. Why do you say your program requires 14 days? Because that's what keeps me sober. Your program is for you. My program is my program. Nobody else's. And it might work for this guy. It might work for that guy, but it's no, it's my program. It's for you. It's what makes you That's tick. what keeps me sober is my program. Service work, sponsorship, um, everything that comes comes that's involved in it. Yeah, teaching, teaching, carrying the message. I can't keep it if I don't if, if I don't give it away. So you're the torchlighter now. You light other people's fires. I once was a messenger. Now I'm a messenger. It's awesome. <laughs> it's such good stuff. So yeah. one of the last things I wanted to talk about is the foundation that you got your help from and you did a walk with them and yeah. i'm sorry for our poor dog that's Nala okay she's fine she's just so excited she probably smells bruce yeah. where 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 could they go to support the it's the liver foundation yeah american liver foundation okay yeah once a year they have uh it's called the liver life walk uh right now they're virtual and um the only actual one that we went to, and you were there, you were on my team. Yeah. Because we started a team in... Uh, it was the year before COVID. 
Yeah, we yeah. called it liver, no onions. Yes, yes. <laughs> you made the T-shirts of a liver, yeah. the liver guy. <laughs> yeah, with your face on it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that. Actually, I'm going to post that part of our artwork for for this podcast. The liver, no onions. It's, that was funny. And a lot of people got a kick out of that. And then we tried to get it organized here, and then COVID hit. Yeah. We tried to bring one to Orland Hills. Because we have the infrastructure that can handle it. We're, we should still make it happen. We can still make it happen. It's going to happen. We're going to have a liver life walk in Orland Hills. So it's called the American Liver Foundation. Yes. And uh, they can go on the website. They can form yep. their own team, do their yep. own virtual fundraising, their own walk, yep. however they would want. The first time, well, see, that's paying back because these people, and I didn't know this till after the fact. I'm like, man, the insurance company's footing a pretty nice bill for this. Or is it the hospital paying for this, for this hotel? This hotel's 300 bucks a night. Yeah, it's literally a, yeah. one of the most luxurious spots so, to be in. And it turned, and then I find out it's the American Liver Foundation that pays for that. So I have to pay back. The first year, the the first year that we went when we actually did the walk, uh, I raised twenty three hundred dollars. We raised twenty three hundred dollars yeah. for the Liver Foundation. The second year was when it was just virtual. Um, we did a little over fifteen hundred. This year was this year was kind of lean because a lot of people don't have a lot of money right now. But, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, a but, buck is better than zero. One dollar yeah. is better than zero dollars. So You're helping. I'm paying back what they gave to me, tenfold. Like I said, I can't keep it unless I give it away. Yeah, I promised you one hour. We're at one hour twenty three minutes. Like I told That's you okay. before, how fast does this go by? I mean, yeah. once you start going, right? What do you want to close with? Um, if you have a problem. If you think you have a problem, you have a problem. If there's a thought, I say, man, I got to slow down. I got to do something. Things aren't right. If your life is starting to go bad because of whatever your addiction is, you have a problem. If you think you have a problem, you have a problem. It's that simple. And go get help. Get help. Help is out there. There is... Alcoholics Anonymous is in all 50 states and 177 countries. You can find us. We're not that far away. Not that far away at all. It's very easy. Go to the directory. Go to AA, AA meetings in my area. Just Google it. And in this area, 500 meetings will pop up in Chicago area. Pick one. Go. It's for any addiction. There, yeah, there's, there's NA... There's, yeah, NA is out there, uh, AA, NA. There's, there's a hundred different 12-step programs, and they're all modeled off of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I said in the beginning that I, I don't have an addictive personality, and, and looking back at my transformation is I, I'm addicted to food. Mm-hmm. Flat out addicted. I, it's my, there's a 12-step program for that. Yeah, I, I'm sure there is. And what, what I've done is, from what you're saying, is it's like my own program mm-hmm. where I have my coach, which is my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what I can't do and what I can't do. I know what when times get rough, where I turn to, I turn to the gym. And I could probably say, I've, you know, the I'm addicted to food, and that's and I I saw that I needed to make you a take change. that away. You take that away from you, and you have this hole in your soul, and now you have to fill that void with something. Yeah, I filled it with AA. I fill mine with working out, yeah. and that's yeah. what's changed. I kicked one addiction for another. 
I'm addicted to working out now. And that's not a bad thing because it's healthy. And you're addicted to helping people at AA. Yep. That's it's healthy. healthy. It's good stuff, man. Live healthy. Yeah. Amen. Get healthy and live healthy. Amen. So. Mike, thank you so much for no problem, coming Kyle. to to talk about this. And uh, th there's so many people that know somebody could help somebody. They might have a problem themselves. Yep. And if you need anything, everyone knows how I run on this on this show here. Reach out to me. I can. I've got resources. I've got a buddy sitting across from me right now. He's a resource. Yep. You get anybody uh, that that's have, that thinks they're having a problem with alcohol, get in touch with me and get me their information, and I will get in touch with them. We know if ends or buts about it. I will call them. Yes. Yeah. And I will. If I get, have to, I will go to their house and take them to a meeting. You'll be the Kyle and drag him out of the bed if needed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> which, which I, it, I'm now you know that story, <laughs> me doing yeah. that, and I'm sorry if you have a broken sternum in there because I, I, I raked the <laughs> hell out of your sternum. You popped up. You came up from the dead <laughs> after I gave you that little jolt. Mm. Mike, man, you're awesome. I love right. you, man. I'm glad. I'm glad that this uh, worked out today talking, but I'm also, you know, it, it sounds bad, but I'm glad that this story happened. In 2016, if you come into the garage, because how many lives have you saved? Not only have you saved your own, you saved your families, mm -hmm. but how many more lives have you helped? And, and because of that day, that one day where you're like, I got to make a change. Mm -hmm. I got to make a change. And it was forced upon you. Yes, if you it didn't, was. If you didn't, we'd be throwing some roses at your gravesite. No, you wouldn't. It'd be black ones if they yeah. were. No, no, nobody come visit me i throw some dandelions <laughs> down not a rose mike you're awesome man we're gonna wrap this up no, thank right. you thanks kyle a very powerful testimony there from mike ethington talking about his battle with alcoholism his life after his transplant being a recovering alcoholic and what he does on the daily to make sure that he keeps up with his vow of staying sober Mike Ethington is the definition of Unsprite. He encourages, he inspires, and he motivates. Sadly, Mike had to take a long walk to get to that point, but he's with us today, and he is fighting the good fight, and he is sharing his message to many about getting sober through AA classes and his leadership throughout Alcoholic Anonymous. Mike Ethington, thank you so much for allowing me to share your story. Mike was one of a few names that I had automatically on my list of people I would love to interview for Ensprate when I was building this out, writing my plans down, my goals, and my goal is to have Mike to share his story. Mike, I love you, man. You're a great neighbor. You're a great friend. You're a great mentor. You are just a great person. And I wish you all the best as I see you drive back and forth every morning when I'm getting home from the gym and you're walking the dog. Everyone, thank you again for tuning into the Inspirate Podcast. I ask if you can give me that rating on Apple Podcasts if that's what you listen to. And if not, listen on Apple Podcasts. Give me a great rating if you enjoy the message, if you enjoy the mission of the Inspirate Podcast. Special shout-outs to our show sponsors again, Dr. Christopher Vittori, Dr. Amit Dakrar, of Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist. Plermo's at 63rd Street, located in Chicago, Frankfurt, and Maryville, Indiana. TM Tire, located in Crestwood and New Lenox, Illinois. And our microphone sponsors, and I did not forget Mr. and Mrs. Robert and Amy Parsons. Thank you, everybody, for sponsoring, supporting, and believing the Inspirate message and mission. We'll talk to you guys soon.